Today on Blue 58, the Packers are undefeated, but there are still a couple reasons to be concerned. Let's enjoy a good win, but in moderation. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode and another Packers win. Hey, the Packers are 3-0. That feels good, but, but there are a couple ways you could look at this. You could say the Packers sprinted out to an early lead and then leaned on their defense to put it away. Or you could say the Broncos absorbed the Packers' best punches and then would have rallied except for a couple untimely turnovers. And if that sounds familiar to you, there's a good reason. That's almost word for word what I said last week after the Packers beat the Vikings. The the Packers started out hot, the Vikings came back, and were it not for a couple offensive pass interference calls and that interception in the end zone late, we could have had a much different outcome. But seriously, though, this was very similar to last week's game. The Packers started fast, had solid defense throughout, the offense tailed off, the opposing defense, or offense, excuse me, got a little bit of traction, but the defense was just too good. All of it adds up to just another game where the Packers got just enough on offense for their smothering defense to hold off the opposing team. That's a little bit disappointing. And I would love to see things turn around and for the Packers to get a more complete effort against the Philadelphia Eagles in just a couple days. Is that possible? We'll see in a few days. For now, let's talk about this win over the Broncos. But first, I'd like to remind you that this podcast is sponsored in part by Ticket King. The Packers are still undefeated. Would you like to see if they can go to 4-0? I'm sure you would. Get your tickets from Ticket King, a Wisconsin-based ticket broker that'll help you get close to the Packers and see them in person. Head to theticketking.com for your tickets to this upcoming Thursday's game. Why did this happen today? Let's start with the defense today because the defense, by and large, worked. Why did the defense work today? They got their hands on the ball. That is really the size of it. They got their hands on the ball at a virtually unprecedented rate. At least, we haven't seen it a whole lot in the relatively recent past. We talk about the Ballhawks stat. That's one of the stats we track among our advanced stats. That page still hasn't been updated at thepowersweep.com so far this year. We're getting to it. It's been a little bit busy. We'll try to bring you those updates in the podcast. But Ballhawks, if you'll remember are basically just in, uh, in um, a measure of how often a, a defense or a defensive player is getting their hands on the ball. So it tracks sacks, force fumbled, fumbles, interceptions, and passes defensed. Among those four categories, this is the most cumulative ball hawks that the Packers have had in a game since week 10 of 2018 when they had 12. That was the number they had today as well. Week 10 versus 28 uh, in 2018, incidentally, was their win over the Miami Dolphins, one of the few bright spots of the second half of their season. Part of that ball hawk stat, like I said, is sacks. It is admittedly not the best way to measure a pass rush, but it is a start. And the Packers had six sacks today. That's quite a few. It's the most sacks they've had in a game since week 10 of 2018 when they also had six. And that should sound very familiar because it was another very solid defensive effort in terms of ball hawks, like we just said. This is the third time the Packers have had six or more sacks in a game since Mike Pettin became the defensive coordinator. That's pretty good. More to the point, this felt like a pretty well-rounded effort. You got plays from the secondary today. You got plays from the defensive front. You got plays from the linebackers. For all his relatively few shortcomings, uh, speed being one of them, Blake Martinez sure 
tends to make a lot of plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. And he made a couple today, a couple nice ones on pass plays, which is not necessarily his game. It hasn't necessarily been his game, but he was in the right position on a couple short swing passes, screen type passes, and really snuffed them out before they could get rolling for the Broncos. That's pretty good. And we'll take that. Uh, you're not necessarily looking to Blake Martinez for making splash plays in your defense, but he made a couple really nice ones today. But the flip side of uh, the defensive effort today was that the Broncos stuck around. And we have to talk about why the Broncos stuck around to get a feel for this game as a whole. Why did the Broncos stick around? Well, in short, it was the run game. They were very effective running the ball today. It's more complicated that than that, though, and it's more complicated in this exact way. The more true version of why the Broncos stuck around is they did a good job on their scoring drives of staying on schedule. They converted third downs when they had to. They made those third downs as short as possible. Each of Denver's three scoring drives took at least 12 plays, and all of them gained at least 73 yards. That's pretty effective offense, and that does sound bad for the defense, but there's an extent to which that you kind of would prefer it that way as an opposing defense. If your opponent has to go 12 plays and 73 yards or 15 plays and 75 yards or whatever it happens to be to get points on the board, you don't necessarily feel terrible about that. If if you end up losing, sure, that's not the greatest outcome. But if it takes that much effort to stick around and they have to execute that many plays consistently and they can do that, well, just hats off to them sometimes. The other guys do get paid. This is a professional football team the Packers were playing against. So if they can consistently go 12, 13, 15 plays and get points, well, I guess that's just good for them. But if they are forced to consistently do that, I think that's still a net win for your defense. If you're worried about a game getting out of reach as an offense, this is a great way to make it hard for the opposing team to get that game out of reach. We see a lot of Michigan games in this part of the country, and there was a great example just a little over a week ago of a team working this strategy to near perfection. Army came to Ann Arbor and nearly pulled off the upset of the Michigan Wolverines, and they did it by giving Michigan very few opportunities to put points on the board. They just had a lot of long slow drives that ended either with points or the ball deep in Michigan territory that made it hard for Michigan to come down and score. That was more or less Denver's approach today, and they were able to to be relatively effective with it. Unfortunately, they also turned the ball over a bunch and gave up enough offense from the Packers that the game ended up out of reach anyway. Is this a reason to be concerned about the Packers' defense? I don't really think so. Like I said, if an opposing offense is able to go 15 plays, 75 yards a couple times in a game, and then throw in another 12-play, 73-yard drive and come up with points on those three drives, okay, good for them. Then there's also the fact that they haven't replaced Raven Green yet in the lineup. So they may yet improve just from a personnel standpoint once they get a guy who can do what he did. That guy's probably going to be Abraham Campbell. He's a couple weeks away. We'll hope that they can do better before he's on the field. Secondly, part of this, part of this defensive effort is the offense's fault. The offense's performance does have an effect on the opposing offense. If your offense is putting up points on the board, it forces the opposition to consistently respond. You take that opposing offense if you're putting up points from a ball control offense to a points-focused offense. If the Packers went up 21-0 today like they did against the Vikings last week, I bet we would have seen quite a few fewer rushing attempts uh, from the Broncos today. 
The Packers didn't get out to that big of a lead, and thus Denver could play more or less the game that they wanted. When Denver did get a little one-dimensional late in the game, the Packers' defense could focus on just stopping that one dimension, and Denver could do pretty much nothing at all. But when the game was close, Denver could run what they wanted, and things got tough for the defense. Now, there is something to be said for performing regardless of other plays or other factors at play here. And if you want to levy that as a criticism against the Packers' defense today, I think that's legit. But I think you also have to add that the Packers' offense isn't necessarily doing the defense any favors right now. Let's flip over to offense and talk about why the offense tailed off a little bit. First, we've got to talk about third downs and three and outs. The Packers did not do very well on third downs today. They were just two of nine converting their third downs. On the whole, this year, the Packers are just nine of 36 converting third down plays. Let me break out the abacus here. That looks like 25% to me, not very good. But even worse than that is the Packers going three and out. That means on top of not converting on three on third downs, they're not getting much done on first and second down either. They have 11 three and out drives so far this year. They've now gone three and out on 11 of 38 total drives this season. Since the abacus is out already, that looks like nearly a third of their drives so far this year. Almost one in three drives the Packers are putting out on the field this year are ending in a three and out. And I bet if you took out things like end of half drives or end of the game drives, it would be almost exactly 33%. This is a trend that started bad and has stayed bad for the Packers so far this year. It's also the fact that the Packers aren't doing particularly well once their offensive script runs out. We talked about this after the Vikings game, but Matt LaFleur said this summer he tends to script about 20 plays to start a game. And in those 20 plays, the Packers performed pretty well today. They gained 158 yards on their first 20 plays of the game. But in their last 35 plays of the game, the Packers gained just 154 yards. Not super great. There's also the issue of bad sequencing. Uh, One of the things that Mike McCarthy in his heyday did very well was calling plays that built off one another. One play leads into the next, leads into the next. And this is something I'm not sure Matt LaFleur has really gotten a hang of once he's outside his offensive script yet. Just before halftime, the Packers ended up on their own 10-yard line. That's an entirely different issue that we'll circle back to here in just a second. Uh, But the Packers did not set themselves up to get down the field quickly in the minute or so that they had left before the halftime. They started with an inside run to Jamal Williams and followed that up with Aaron Rodgers trying to draw the opposing team off sides to set up another inside run. It was not super great. And thus they faced a third and four and let Jamal Williams run again, running out the clock at the end of the first half. That one was bad, but worse for the Packers, I think, was the sequence in drive number nine. In my notes, as the Packers were beginning this drive with 13.30 left in the game, uh, I wrote a dollar sign next to it. This was the money drive. This was the chance the Packers had to really put this game away. And for a while, it looked like they were cooking right along. Uh, they had one first down that they converted, a third and five. Uh, they converted a third, uh, second and one with a nice run uh, by Aaron Jones. Uh, he managed to just get across the first down line, so they're facing first and ten uh, relatively deep into Denver territory. But then on first and ten, they have a delay of game penalty. That's not good. It gets worse. First and 15, they start off with a screen pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Not great because it only gains four yards. They go with another screen to the left to Geronimo Allison, and they actually lose a yard. So they're facing a third and 12. 
Marquez Valdez-Scantling runs a route short of the first down marker. Though the pass is completed, they still end up having to kick a field goal. They go up 27 to 16, but it could have been more points and it could have been more time off the clock. Denver took over with just under uh, five, just under six minutes to go. A good drive, but it could have been a great one for the Packers. That double screen play there, or not double screen, that screen play sequence where they ran two back-to-back after the delay of game was infuriating because screen plays are not good. I've brought this up several times over the, the, the course of the season so far, but screen plays are just not an efficient way to move the football. I quote football outsiders a lot. They do route-by-route breakdowns of what plays are worth running for an opposing offense. And league-wide last year, screen plays, two wide receivers, were by far the most inefficient play in football. It generates a lot of yards after the catch. Tends to look pretty cool when you've got a lot of moving parts. You've got the wide receiver, the, the quarterback throwing a quick pass out there. You've got offensive linemen tearing down the field. It looks cool. But compared to other plays, it's profoundly unproductive and inefficient. I won't throw the raw defensive yards above replacement and defensive value over average um, numbers out there, but it's by far the worst route that any wide receiver can run. Incidentally, it's not much better when you're running screen plays to running backs. That one is also unproductive uh, for both running backs and wide receivers or people lining up in the backfield or wide receivers. It's just not a good way to try to move the football. But the Packers tried to do it twice on one drive, a drive in which they really had a shot to put the game completely out of reach. That was frustrating to see. And uh, it was an example, I think, of, of the Packers not really thinking through or thinking through incorrectly some of their play sequencing. Why would you run those two plays at all? And then why would you run them back to back? I, I don't really understand it. What does this all mean, though? Well, first and foremost, to circle back to what I said at the very top, the Packers are 3-0, and and that can't be discounted. 3-0 and is a great place to be. And in some parts, the Packers have played very, very well. They look like a very dangerous football team at time, and the defense really has, has looked that way start to finish. But second, I think this means that the offense still has a lot of work to do. There are signs of improvement there. They scored a couple times in the, in the second half. They scored on a couple short fields. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a good game. And by and large, they seem pretty balanced on offense, whatever balance actually means in 2019. It doesn't just mean running the same amount of pass plays and run plays, but they do seem like they have the the threat of being able to run anything at any time and get yards with it on occasion. That seems pretty good. I think this also means that if the defense has to bail out the offense against a quarterback who turns out to actually be good, even this great defense might not be enough. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the Packers' defense hasn't been impressive through three weeks. They've been great. It's been fun to watch. But they've also played Mitchell Trubisky, Kirk Cousins, and Joe Flacco, none of whom have been able to rally their teams when the Packers' offense has slowed down. If the Packers have to face a quarterback who's actually capable of putting up more than 16 points in a game— Things might not go so well for the Packers as a whole, however good their defense might actually be. The offense needs to step up so that defense can continue to get those great results and have those great results actually matter. What happens next for the Packers? Well, they've got a quick turnaround this week. They'll host the Eagles on Thursday night football this Thursday. 
Duh. Uh, the Eagles are one and two so far, but we're very nearly two and one after Detroit did all they could to gift them a win. Go and check out how that game ended if you haven't seen it. It was a wild ending, and Detroit really, really was trying to give that one away late. Philadelphia does concern me. We'll talk about them in a couple days. No midweek podcast this week because there's a game coming up, but uh, the Wednesday podcast this week will instead be our typical preview type show. Get ready for that. Uh, I'm concerned about Philadelphia. We'll dive deeper into that in just a couple days. For now, let's talk about a couple odds and ends from this game. Uh, first and foremost, got to give some some props to Darnell Savage and Rashawn Gary, both hitting milestones today. Darnell Savage got his first career interception, and Rashawn Gary got his first career sack. Interesting to note, they both did it while wearing those Packers throwbacks that are just fine, like I said in the preview. Uh, that Jair Alexander happened to be wearing last year when he had his first career interception against Buffalo. That was also the game where Aaron Rodgers came out after the game and publicly criticized or seemed to publicly criticize Mike McCarthy starting that whole thing. Early in the game, Robert Tanyan appeared to miss uh, a shot at an early touchdown um, on a shot play down the left sideline. He looked like he momentarily stopped his route or slowed down in his route down the left sideline when he shouldn't have because Aaron Rodgers was in the process of throwing him the ball. This stuck out to me, stuck out to me because he, of all people, should know, well, just not to do that. Think about his first career touchdown. It came last year in Seattle when, on a busted play, he wandered down the field all by his lonesome and caught a long pass from Aaron Rodgers, who had not given up on a play. He, of all people, should know better. On the Denver side of the ball, I thought Cortland Sutton was pretty fun to watch today. Big, strong, fast wide receivers always are. I was a big fan of his, and I was hoping the Packers would get a chance to draft him in 2018, but Denver took him 40th overall, and the Packers settled for Josh Jackson at 45. Uh, Still waiting to see on Jackson. Um, He could yet be a good player, but uh, he hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities in 2019. Uh, circling back to Jair Alexander, who had his first interception in throwbacks last year, like I said, his strip sack, or not strip, strip sack, just strip of Noah Fant was just about unbelievable. I don't think I've seen a play quite like that dating back to when I was playing grade school football with the Cedar Grove Broncos and Joe Burton took the ball right out of an opposing player's hands and started running down the field with it. And the guy just kind of stood there and watched him like, is he, is he allowed to do that? That's kind of what the Denver offense looked like when Jair Alexander came out of that tangle with Fant with the ball. That's just something that you don't see a whole lot. And it's been really exciting to watch Alexander figure out that, hey, I have a right to that ball too. And I'm looking forward to when he starts doing that on balls that are in the air and coming down with a few more interceptions because it looks like he's had a few opportunities this year. I want to circle back to Rashawn Gary's uh, first sack for just a second. Let's finish on a positive note. Uh, his first sack was not a gimme by any means. Uh, he was chipped by a tight end, then had to bull rush through the right tackle on his way to the quarterback, brought down Joe Flacco for a sack. That was a pretty good one, and I think a, a, a bit of an example of what the Packers were hoping for out of Rashawn Gary. Good to see him actually um, produce something that the fans can can take and run with a little bit. I know he's been getting beat up a little bit for not having um, box score type stats, even if he is producing pass rush numbers elsewhere. If you look at the advanced stats. 
but it, I, I guess it's just good to see him get those numbers that anybody can look up and, and enjoy. And uh, it's fun to see one sack next to his name. It's a good start, and hopefully it's all up from here. So I've got for you in this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Give us a rating and a review on iTunes if you happen to enjoy the show. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best way to do that is to head over to patreon.com slash the power sweep and leave us a dollar a month that helps offset some of our hosting costs for this podcast and for the power sweep. Com. If you want to look good while you support us financially, check out our great t-shirts and sweatshirts at Teespring. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com. We also, of course, have a link to the Ticket King there as well. Click tickets at thepowersweep.com to find your way to their website. One of the best ways you can help us out is to leave us questions, comments, your thoughts about the things that we produce, whether that's on Facebook, Twitter, email, wherever you do it. It helps us further our mission of making everybody a smarter Packers fan. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.